Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 94 of Radiance, my original Fallout fan fiction. As always, I do hope that you can like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can. Either And if you can leave feedback at fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. It's always welcome. And if you do pop over to ghostnobody.com, check out Storm Rider. If big sexy dragonesses, little human mages and moody demon girls are a thing, then pop over, you might like it. And while you're there, pop over to the ghostly link section. Check out Mortis, my original novel. Pick up a copy at either Amazon, from the Kindle store, or from Smashwords. Help support me, keep me doing what I love, bringing unlikely alien romance stories to you good people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own Fallout or anything to do with it. That's all Bethesda. They can keep the bugs, glitches and everything else. I'll just keep the crazy tales, thanks. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 94. Return to Sender. It took the king quite a while to sift through all the directions and statements that had been given to the rescued boys, trying to identify the settlements they'd come from so they could be returned home safe and sound. The plan was a simple one. Plot a route around all the settlements and drop them off along the way, moving in a rather large loop until they finally reached Terminus back at Diamond City as the Terminus Point. But with careful planning, a lot of which seemed to be coming from their newest member, the team finally had a route and a plan in place to get the boys all back to their respective settlements safe and sound. Because they'd promised to help him out, Nick Valentine had been kind enough to pay for a large room for them in the inn for the night, so they could set out in the morning, despite the team protesting that they could simply camp outside the city where they'd been set up before. But he wouldn't hear it, and simply headed over to the inn and booked them a room. Though it was actually kind of nice to be in a city, and to see hundreds of people milling about with, without someone trying to run them off or hiding from them, as word had travelled about their exploits rather rapidly, especially due to a little local paper doing a piece on them. Wisp still kind of missed having privacy of their own room in the ruined house so that she and Malachi could have time to themselves. But after a somewhat restless night, the team were once again on the move, with both Nick and all of the boys now in tow. As they walked, Fuller was telling them all about the ESF, how they thought, how they operated, and how far they were likely to go to get what they wanted. And it all came together to paint a rather worrying picture that said to Wisp that Dr. Chalmers had managed to get the power she craved so very badly within the Enclave, and this little outing of number eight and nine would be a real feather in her cap as to show what her little shop of horrors could really do if it was unleashed upon the world. Wisp couldn't help but wonder to herself what exactly the pair of them were capable of, and what powers did they hold. Having already encountered one of the others when they'd met Malachi, Having two super-powered humans on their tail with a group of pissed-off Special Forces soldiers, with access to high-end weaponry and power armour, was not exactly a very appealing one. Then, there was a little issue of the railroad. If the ESF did indeed manage to sway them to their cause through manipulation, if they could make things incredibly difficult for them, in the form that they were technically innocents that had been tricked into believing them to be their enemies, it made the question of killing them a rather powerful moral one indeed. Wisp wondered if it all came down to if she could actually pull the trigger on someone who had who wasn't truly her enemy, but who had been actually tricked into hunting her. 
It also raised a whole host of other problems in their path, like how to find them and how to approach them, knowing that not only were the ESF most likely watching them rather closely, but that it could expose Fuller, not only to their wrath and vengeance, but also to that of glory, if she discovered that he deceived her in order to escape the ESF and to warn them about what was happening in the first place. Wisp felt like she had a little million little arachnicae scurrying around in her head, all weaving their own little webs before they all bumped into one, to one another, got themselves all tangled up in a giant knot, all while yelling at one another. Cap for your thoughts, her voice said suddenly, snapping her out of her stupor, and she blinked a couple of times before her eyes focused on Malachi's handsome but rather worried-looking face. You looked like you were miles away. So much so that I was beginning to think you'd figured out some way to put your body on autopilot and gone swimming in the clouds or something, he said playfully, trying to lighten her mood. She couldn't just help but smile up at her gentle giant of a man. Just trying to untangle the web in my head of how we're going to deal with the ESF and the railroad, she said, sighing, and he nodded. Yeah, I've been running that one over myself, and it's a pretty damn tricky one, isn't it? I mean, how on earth are we supposed to contact them without those guys knowing about it and tracking us down through it? He said, and she nodded. Yeah, that was the conclusion I reached as well. We've got no way to know where they currently are or if they've infiltrated the organisation as a whole. So to be fair, we'd have no way to know who we can trust or not. A part of me thinks it's better just to neutralise the threat. But then I have to keep reminding myself that these are innocent people. They're just trying to do their best to do what's right. It's not really their fault, Wisp said. Malachi nodded. The other problem is if we have to reach out to them and the ESF intercept the message, they could send someone instead of the railroad, and the only person who would know the difference is Fuller, which would expose him to the danger. No, we have to think this through. We have to be smart about this, Wisp said. Malachi nodded. And then after a little couple of bits of man, cute mandible twitching, he suddenly looked at Nick. What about him? he asked, and Wisp looked at, her, looked at him, and she raised an eyebrow. Valentine? What about him? she asked curiously. Well, he's a synth, and something tells me they've probably most likely already tried to approach him at some point. And maybe, just maybe, they might have a relationship with him in some way. I mean, think about it. Who better to find other synths passing through Diamond City than another synth? And given how the people of the city already know and trust him, he'd probably be easily easily able to point out someone like, like that to the railroad, and they could free them before people even become aware of who they actually have in their midst. Malachi said, and Wisp's face brightened right up. Malachi, you're a fucking genius, you know that? A gorgeous, fluffy genius. She said, leaning in and kissing his mandibles and then his mouth. I'm just a simple boy who likes to knit and sew, but thanks, I guess. He said, looking flustered enough for her to wish there was a bush big enough around here for her to drag him behind, where she could ravish him in peace. Wisp turned and matched pace with Valentine, who glanced up at her as she fell in step with him. Help you with something, doll? He asked in that old world city speech of his. That made him sound kind of like an old-world gumshoe detective or a cop right out of a comic. Well, actually, you might be able to, Nick. Tell me, what do you know about the railroad? She asked, and by the involuntary ticks that passed through his face but, and the exposed motors 
twitching. She knew she'd hit a synthetic nerve with that one. What about them? Load of kooks that are off, one step off trying to free talk in toasters. In fact, I'm kind of surprised they haven't tried to uproot and save one of those Pulaski preservation shelters by now, given that those things give digital responses to things you say, he said with an obviously forced chuckle. Wisp raised an eyebrow to let him know in no uncertain terms that she didn't buy a single word. And the old synth sighed, which thanks to his old to his vocal processor made it sound a bit like a cough and a crackling speaker combined. All right, fine. What do you want to know? Just so you know, I'm only willing to talk about this because I know how far you lot went to dig me out of that hole I was in. Otherwise, you'd get fuck all out of me, he said, and she nodded. Actually, I wasn't thinking about a freebie here. More of a kind of quid pro quo kind of situation. So how about this? We tell you what we already know and why we're interested, and then you can tell us what you know and see if this is something that maybe you might be able to will it to help us out with. How about that? He said, and he looked at her in surprise. Well, that's a first. Using dealing in info, most people play their cards pretty damn close to their chest. But you're a different breed, ain't you? He said, and Wisp smiled and nodded. Yeah, that's the way I like to think about it anyway. So Nick gestured for her to continue. So with a bit of a deep breath, she began to fill him in on what was going on. As they walked and dropped off the boys, Wisp told Valentine and indeed her whole group's tale as a whole. She told him everything from her meeting Seven to them meeting Visa and Ven, right the way up to today, and the old synth simply listened in, a stunned silence as she told their tale, till finally she finished and he simply looked at her in amazement. Wow, that's quite a tale. You guys have really been through the grinder, haven't you? He said, and she nodded. Yeah, you could say that. Look, we're just trying to make things better. Not just for ourselves, but for everyone. It started out as just wanting to get as far away as we fucking could from the bloody enclave. But now, there's just so much more going on. We can't afford to sit back and pretend it's not happening. It'd be too fucking easy for us to simply just disappear and bury our heads in the sand like it's not even happening. But we have a real chance here. A real chance to do something real good in this world. And we're going to take it. A war's coming. And as much as I hate to admit it to myself, I can feel it. They're just never going to leave us alone. They want their weapon. And as far as they're concerned, that is Seven. And to them that means fuck everyone else as long as they have him under their control. And if they ever do achieve that, then no one's safe. And I do mean no one. When I say this guy is powerful, you have no idea. He can crush a human to the size of a soda can with nothing more than a single thought. Or, with the same thought, level a building to absolute rubble if he wants to. He's like a walking, talking nuclear bomb. And they want him back. And we cannot let that happen. Because if they ever do get him then it's all over for anyone that ever disagreed with them. They'd use him to destroy the Brotherhood, the Institute, the Railroad, and fucking everyone else that would stand in their way. And we simply can't let that happen. Not now, not ever. Valentine listened to Wisp intently and nodded. If I hadn't already seen what you people can do, I'd think you would follow it. Or hit the jet a little too hard. But having seen it already with my own eyes, I believe you. And you're right. 
Plus this seven guy sounds like a pretty stand-up guy. A little self-righteous maybe. But there aren't too many people out here trying to make a genuine difference for everyone. And not just for themselves. Not too many people willing to stand up to the Enclave or the Brotherhood, let alone both. So yeah, you really got my attention now. So alright, yeah, I do have contacts in the railroad. And they're ones I tr- fully trust with my life. We've worked together many times. One of them's in a place called Good Neighbour. Pretty rough little town, to say the least, but there are people who live there are pretty decent. They've just had a rough time of things, you know, he said. Think you can put us in contact with them? Wisp asked, and he nodded. I'll do one better than that for your doll face. I'll take you there myself, and I'll even handle the introduction. If a quarter of what you said here is true, then we're all in danger. I think those enclave bastards are just going to ignore... Not going to just ignore old Detective Valentine as a harmless gumshoe helping people out if they take over, do you? He said, and she shook her head. Damn straight. So this shit affects all of us. And I'd be pretty stupid to ignore it, given my tin asses on the block first chop if they manage to pull this off. But the question is, how do we deal with those ESF folks? They sound like a pretty tough bunch, especially if they do have a number of your people with them. He said. Oh, I've got something there that could help. Fuller said suddenly from behind them, and they both glanced back to see the XESF sniper had fallen into step with them, and I was listening into their conversation intently. Oh, and what have you got in mind? Wisp asked. Simple. The ESF's biggest boon is stealth. We operate in small but heavily armed numbers, yes. But those numbers are still small. So the first thing to do is to out them. Expose them. Make sure they can't hide in the fucking shadows. We need to give the railroad a way to counteract their cloaking tech and to out any potential members of the team that might have tried to infiltrate the group in my place since my supposed death, he said, just doing quotation fingers on the word death. Okay, first thing then, do you have a description of the other members? Valentine asked and Fuller nodded. They were my team. I lived, ate, slept and worked with these people day in, day out. I know them all by heart. Everything from every little scar to the way they talk to their mannerisms. He replied and Valentine nodded. Good. That will help. Now, what about the cloaking tech? Got any ideas about that, do you? He said and Fuller once again nodded. Been giving that a lot of thought lately. And the Enclave power armour is a tough nut to crack at the best of times. But it does have a minor flaw in that it has a weakness against high-intensity EM fields. Like, for instance, say, the type of EMP grenades people use to take out rogue droids around the wastes. The problem is, if you set something like that off in the railroad HQ, you'll simply take out all of their equipment as well. So they need to be pulled away from that place, to a place where not only can they be exposed, but possibly ambushed, but at the very least, it'll expose them. But don't expect it to be easy. They won't go down easy and without a major fight. We'll also need to silence their comms, otherwise simply all they'll do is they'll radio the remainder of their team and they'll vanish before we have a chance to silence them all for good, Fuller said. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But that leaves the number two leaves the two number people to do what do we do about them? Valentine asked and Wisp shrugged. Now truly they are the real wild card in all of this. And we don't know what their abilities are either. Now my gut tells me they don't have the same kind of power level as Seven. Not even close. 
or they wouldn't even need to send two of them. We've obviously got them so rattled after the last time they sent one of them after us, and he killed him. With ease, I might add. And they've also been paying attention to what's been happening in his wake. They've got to be aware that he's gotten far more powerful than the last time we've encountered him. But these two do at least have to be a threat to him or they'd have never sent them. She wouldn't have risked sending them out into the field like that if she didn't think that they could actually do some damage, Wisp said. Okay then, so what about the Brotherhood? Fuller said and suddenly both of them looked at him curiously. What about them? Wisp asked. Well, for one, they hate the Enclave more than just about anyone. Didn't you say that that Raymond guy is currently trying to broker a priest treaty between those avian lot and him and them? Well, could be rather a nice sweetener and a way to prove to them that we're trustworthy. I'm sure they'd absolutely love to get their hands on, or at very least wipe out an active ESF team working in their territory. Perhaps we could use that, he said, and that really got Wisp thinking as well as Valentine. Yeah, it's no secret that Tin Team 1 absolutely hate the Enclave with a passion. And to be fair, who can blame them? I'd be willing to bet they'd absolutely jump at the chance to take down one of their Special Forces teams. Doubly so if they could be handed over to them alive. Something tells me they wouldn't be gentle in their interrogation of them, rules of regulations or not, Valentine said thoughtfully and Fuller nodded. Exactly. They hated us because we showed them up multiple times. But they believe in rules and code of conduct, even in war. What we believed in was winning, and using any trick in the book, and then some we even wrote ourselves to win. And it was pretty damn effective, too. And they hated us for it. But that's only the mild stuff. I think the biggest hatred came from while the Brotherhood has a habit of simply ignoring civilians, we simply rolled over them like a fucking steamroller. It was either get in line or you were a traitor to the USA and were treated as such, Fuller said a bit wistfully. We can fucking use that, all right. Pretty sure that settlements around here would be rather unhappy to hear they have a potential to be repatriated by force or exterminated if they fail to comply. Pretty sure something tells me the Commonwealth Minutemen would have something to say about that, Valentine said thoughtfully. Yeah, and I'm willing to be sure that the Brotherhood and the Men probably don't seem eye-to-eye on many things, but I'm willing to bet my bottom cap that they'd shake hands over this, Fuller said. Exactly. That means not only would we take these fuckers out, but we'd have a fucking army at our backs to do so. Hell, this might even be the thing that fucking finally unites the Commonwealth in a fucking peace that it's so sorely needed for too long. Why wouldn't that be a wonderful irony? That the thing that actually winds up uniting the peoples of the Commonwealth is the bloody enclave, Valentine said. More like people's hatred of them. And to be fair, this actually might be a damn good chance to show the people of the the Commonwealth that non-humans have their backs as well, Fuller said. And this really got Wisp thinking. You're absolutely right, Fuller. This is a good opportunity. Hell, it's a golden one. We might even be able to get Raymond to get the avians in on this as well, because I'm pretty sure they're going to be in as much danger as everyone else, if not more if the Enclave establish a proper presence here, what with being non-human and all. So if he can pull some sway with them, not only might he be able to stop the war between them and the Brotherhood, he might be able to turn them into brothers and sisters in arms.
and nothing forges stronger bonds than standing together on the battlefield, shoulder to shoulder, united against a common enemy. Because when you're about to go into a situation which could very easily kill you, a lot of trust is placed in the person next to you. And if that person happens to be non-human, it could go a seriously long way to showing the Brotherhood that just because you're not human doesn't mean you're not worthy of life and respect. Hell, it could be wind up being the dawn of a whole new age right fucking here, Wisp said, growing more excited by the moment. Over the next couple of hours, they continued to discuss the details as they continued to return the wayward boys to the loving and incredibly grateful arms of their families and friends of their home settlements. By the time they returned to Diamond City again, they had the motions of a very solid multi-stage plan in place, one that Valentine had pledged not only to give his full support to, but his resources as well. As he'd put in it, given his stake in this place and its people, he was all in now. It was time to repay the faith and trust the people of both Diamond City and the Commonwealth at large had placed in him by letting him live among them unharmed. Now it was going to be he who would show them what a synth could truly do for them after all. So after promising to return the following day to discuss the details of the plan with Valentine, the team headed out to a nearby radio relay to relay their plan through to both Seven and Raymond. Though it turned out to be actually rather a little tricky to reach Raymond, and given the amount of static on the secured line, it seemed that he was only just about inside the transmission range of the relay they'd used. But he was rather excited by the plan they'd outlined to him, as was Seven, who said he, once he was done freeing the place, he was going to see if he could rally the Gator Claws on side, as he felt it would do an absolute wonder for interspecies relations if the common people of the Commonwealth saw an army of gator claws ready to stand with them to fight for what they saw as their home too. So once the message was delivered and the wheels were turning, the group returned to their little camp outside of Diamond City in the ruined buildings, where they'd camped before the first time they entered the city, and they finally retook, retook control of the prior rooms, and Wisp was infinitely grateful to be able to have some privacy with Malachi tonight as he was beginning to look a little too unmolested for her liking, and was in a dire need of a good ravishing. But first there was still much to do and to work out, so it was planning now, cute spider molesting later, with a healthy side of ravishing, if she had her way. Fuller, as it turned out, hadn't been idle during this time either. He'd been working out the perfect bait to bring out the SF spy, or even maybe the whole team if they were lucky. He told Wisp that the best way to do it was to circulate a few reports that could be sent in from different points to HQ of an odd human with strange abilities, but keep them vague enough so that they would believe it was Seven wishing to meet with them, if, because if it was ever explicitly said it was him, by mentioning him by name, they'd be very suspicious of their motives or sense a potential trap, so they had to keep it vague. He also expressed a concern about their backup and how it would be prudent to take out their base of operations to either prevent their escape or possibly reinforcements being called in. As even as small as they were, power-armoured ESF agents were no fucking joke and would come in hard and fast with no regard for life or civilian casualties. They would hit absolutely everyone to win the day, so they had to destroy or at least at the very minimum disable their base a point she'd agreed on wholeheartedly, 
but had expressed that it should be ha happen preferably when the meeting was just kicking off, so they wouldn't have time to be able to correct the problem before the trap was sprung, something he complied with completely. Wisp was just as glad that it was all going to take days to set all of this up because they were really going to need the backup. Because number 8 and number 9 were most likely going to put the ESF's fighting capability over the top. Just like 7 and she did for theirs. Because without blowing her own horn or feeling arrogant, she knew that any force that had one of her kind with them had a real advantage over conventional soldiers just because of what they brought to the table. Take her and 7 for example. She couldn't be hit by conventional firearms, making her immune to counterfire, while also being able to disable enemy electronics, but also their soldiers as well by invading their bodies and sending their senses haywire. Now, granted, she couldn't exactly control them fully, but she could shut down their muscles or possibly blind them. In short, she was an agent of chaos in the right mindset. Then there was Seven, and if she was an agent of chaos... He was literal chaos embodied. If he truly let loose, then he was just about unstoppable. And she always thought it was kind of ironic that the man's only real limiting factors were both himself in both biology and his morality. Biology in the fact that his headaches of his could cripple him. And while, yes, he had made truly incredible leaps in power just by learning to control them or possibly ignore them, she'd seen inside his head when he'd had them and she knew just how bad they were. To be fair, it actually amazed her that he was still able to function through them at all. Then there was the other, his morality, or his own sense of how far he was willing to actually go to achieve his objective. If either of these factors ever broke, Seven would literally become unstoppable, short of nuking him from orbit. But then, how do you exactly stop someone who could catch said nuclear missile out of the air and throw it fucking back at you without ever touching it? And this brought her back to thinking about exactly what 8 and 9 were capable of. It had to be something powerful if Dr. Chalmers had set them up against 7. And her, primarily 7 though. Because when all said and done it was pretty much going to be all on him to stop them. A task she really didn't envy him. This brought her back to me to thinking about the pair, how the fair pair of them had first been during those first days. And just how far they'd come. They were just two souls with no memories or no real identities to call their own, escaping into the night, just for the chance to live free and by their own rules. The pair of them had come so incredibly far in their journey, met so many wonderful people and touched so many innocent lives. Seven, especially, had become a symbol of what real freedom and unity really looked like, a human man with the power to crush a city, but used it to shield the common innocent people for no other reason than he cared and he wanted them to prosper and be happy. A man who had fallen in love with a female claw, and through methods unknown, had managed to get her to fall head over tail in love with him back. And now the pair stood back to back as a symbol for all great and small of what the world could be if they were only willing to fight for it. Wisp looked around at her own group, and she saw the instant signs of his influence reflected in every single face that sat with her by the fire in the living room of the old pre-war house. Malachi, a beautiful and truly handsome arachnikai boy that she would kill the entire world with her bare hands just to see smile. Shepard, a survivor of the most vile slavery, 
who now stood tall and proud at the side of Passer, a beautiful claw boy, who, while being three times her size, loved the very air she breathed. Gregory, another escaped slave and a gay man, who would face so much persecution in the world before, let alone the world now, but made strong and proud by the pro- proud and strong bisexual claw boy that stood happily by his side, loving the very atoms of his very being, and would tear through the hate aimed at them with a fury so hot that it would put the sun to shame. And finally now, their wild card, Fuller, a man who had had his mind open to what was truly possible in this world, if he just give it a chance and stop hating something just because it is different and scares us. A man who was once their enemy and would have happily killed them in order to return Seven to Dr. Chalmers so she could use him to enslave the entire country to fear of retribution. But now a man with his eyes opened by the heart of a woman who was made in a lab, a woman who was created and not born, a woman who with her synthetic heart had shown him the truth of right and wrong, and more importantly, that love really is blind and unjudging. She had taken his hand and guided him into a world that he might have feared, but was willing to look at for her, and now he had truly seen it. He had not only seen the truth, but he had seen the future and what it could be if he'd continued down the path that he was on. And that's when his pride and his integrity refused to let him be part of creating that, and he had rebelled and joined them, all for the chance of redemption for what he had done. And Wisp actually found herself hoping that when all said and done, he could either return to the arms of his synthetic love, or maybe if that bridge was well and truly burned to ash, then maybe, just maybe, there was another non-human girl who would welcome him into hers, who with maybe with feathery, spindly, or maybe even scaly hands, would pick up the parts of his shattered heart and would put them back together again, make him whole again, because even because he was a truly free man. As she sat back, she felt Malachi's arms encircle her, and she glanced back to see her big handsome spider-boy folding his legs in under himself, transforming himself into full spider-loaf mode so she, he could cuddle her from behind. She smiled up to him, reaching up to stroke his kind and handsome face. It made her happy to know that out of all of them, her man was probably the most accepting of them all. Part man, part spider, who loved to knit and sew, who loved himself a little sparkly cloud girl who lived inside a synthetic body that wasn't her own but still he simply loved because it contained the soul of the one he adored he looked around she looked around the room again and she saw similar scenes playing out among the others as well gregory had slipped into ven's lap so he could feed him some of the meat stew he'd been cooking while passer had done the same to shepherd with the added benefit of wrapping his wings around her so only her head poked out the top of the snow-white wings, while he happily fed her. In fact, it was only Fuller who sat alone now in the golden glow of the firelight, staring into those golden dancing flames with a morose look on his features that told Wisp he was remembering glory and maybe their nights together too. Think you'll ever see her again when this is all over? She asked, making him jump and look a little surprised that she'd read his mind so easily. He shrugged and sat back to look into the swirling and flickering shadows painted on the ceiling by the golden dancing flames.
No idea. A part of me wants to say yes. Hell, a big part of me does. But a voice of reason keeps telling me that she'd have absolutely that I have absolutely zero right to see her again after what I did to her. I mean, how am I supposed to look her in the eyes after I basically destroyed her heart the way I did? She took a chance on me and fell in love with me. And God, I love her too. But how can you do that to someone and ever expect them to trust you again? No, I don't think I could bear ever seeing the doubt in her eyes, even if she did forgive me for what I did. Just waiting for me to vanish like a puff of smoke again at the first sign of trouble. I think it would probably be best if I just let her be and let her live her life. If I gave her anything, at least it's hope that a human man can indeed love her for who and what she is and just accept her and love her regardless. I think I'd rather let her have those happy memories than piss all over them by showing her what betrayal really looks like, he said softly with a lot of hurt in his voice. Wisp felt her own synthetic heart ache for him, but she still nodded in understanding. If it's any consolation, Fuller, I think you did the right thing. You wanted to protect her from the ESF's wrath, and you did just that. While you were with her, you loved her honestly, and that's all anyone could have ever asked for, really, at the end of the day. Even if it was short, you gave that girl your entire self and showed her what an honest heart is. That would mean the world to her. And don't worry, I'm sure someone will love her and mend her heart. Someone will bring her happy back. And now she knows it is possible, and it will give her hope that it could happen again, she said, and he smiled and nodded. I hope so, Wisp, I really do, because that girl deserves to be happy. She's been through hells that most of us can't even begin to imagine. And I'm just glad for the time that I was with her, and that I was able to make her happy and smile while I was. I hope the next man who ch- takes a chance on her will do the same, if not more, for her. Because if there's one thing you can say about her, she loves honestly, he said with a smad smile. Wisp leaned forwards and patted his shoulder reassuringly. Don't worry, Fuller. I'm sure there's another girl out there for you. And now you've seen what a non-human community can offer, those with wide open eyes like yours. You might even see her in the place most unlikely, she said. Yeah, who knows, maybe the next one might even have scales and a tail, Ven said with an honest grin on his face and said he wasn't joking for once, but still made Fuller laugh. God, that'd be a thing, wouldn't it? I can barely handle a human or a synthetic human. I don't know how the hell I'm supposed to be able to handle a fucking claw girl, he said, chuckling. Hey, who says you get to? Pretty sure it's us claws who handle you humans, you know. Ven said, ruffling Gregory's hair playfully, making him swat at the large hand with a spoon. Speak for yourself, Ven. I'll have you know that I handle my claw boy very nicely, thank you very much, Shepard said, leaning up to kiss past his chin. I'll also remind you that you said that the next time you got your tail in the air, Gregory said with a wicked smile on his face that made Ven flush. Fuller roared with laughter and leaned back against the chair he was sat in front of as he smiled into the fire. Well, whatever the future brings, we better make sure we win this fight first. Or I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of happy in any of our futures, do you? He said, and they all nodded at that. Amen to that, brother. Amen to that, Ben said. And with that, the group all retreated into their own little thoughts. There was a lot to plan for here. We really could not afford to fuck this up. 
as know it or not, the entire Commonwealth was relying solely on them. And that was chapter 94, ladies and gentlemen. But will Wisp and her team be able to get everybody organised? Or will everything just descend into chaos as all the groups that hate each other kick off? Will they be able to get it under control? Or will ESF be able to pull the railroad to their side? Only going to be one way to find out the answer to those questions and so many more. You're going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time.